Well, the results of the latest uh, British Society Attitudes Survey published uh, last week make very interesting reading uh, for us as we consider this as our missionary context. Uh, here are some stats. Uh, only 52% of the population now associate themselves with any religion at all. And that compares to about two-thirds in 1983. Only a minority of people now view marriage as the starting point for bringing up children, with support for this view halving in the last 25 years. Only 12% of people think that sex between people who are not married is either always or mostly wrong, and that compared to 28% in 1980. Uh, there's, an, um, there's an all-time high of almost two-thirds of people who uh, believe that sex outside of marriage is not wrong at all. Only 40% of people agree that people who want to have children ought to get married, compared to, say, 70% in 1989. Only 20% disapprove of gay relationships, in principle, compared to almost two-thirds in 1980. 56% of those surveyed supported same-sex marriage. 48% were opposed to gay couples adopting children, compared to 90% in 1983. And also, this is the week where the Scottish company Rockstar North, based in Edinburgh, made $1 billion in sales worldwide in just three days, releasing their game Grand Theft Auto V. It is a, it is a, a video entertainment game that apparently involves graphic violence, sex, and torture, where you encourage to participate in torture. And uh, I don't know where they've done that just to boost the sales. Probably they have. But it has stirred a big debate in the media about what it says about our Western culture and our values. At the very least, we can say this, that the social attitudes, uh, the popularity of such a game, reveal that we have an increasing shift in our culture away from any sort of Christian ethic or Christian behavior. We are in a missionary context. Uh, this is not a Christian country. Uh, in its, the way that people think and the way that people act. And against this background, it, it is important, uh, if you're a Christian here today, who wants to live out the teaching of God's word, to face up to the reality that in doing that, society's basically just going to think you're weird. It is totally alien and strange to want to live the way the Bible teaches us to live. And there are huge social pressures now uh, upon us to conform uh, and to accept the new values of 21st century Britain. And I, I feel this is the hardest, particularly for our children. I look at my children and the pressures that they're under in their school environment. And, uh, you know, they're bombarded with messages about how they should dress. And it's increasingly in a very sexualized way about how they should think and how they should act. And, if, and this, this is the only way that you're really going to be accepted and fit in. These are huge pressures that are on our young people, our sort of 15, 14, 16, 17-year-olds uh, today. And so it's vital that uh, we get clarity as Christians about where we're heading and about who we are. Very important and this is what Peter, the apostle, 
helped scattered Christians in the first century uh, to realize, as they were feeling increasingly alienated from their society around them. And he basically reminds them to look forward and to remember their true identity. So please open your Bibles to 1 Peter, and you'll find that on page 1217 in the church Bibles. And we're going to be examining verses uh, 13 down to 21 of chapter 1. So it's page 1217 in the church Bibles. 1 Peter chapter 1. Let's just pray once more. Father, this is your word. Would you speak now into our lives through your words uh, that you would remind us who we are, where we're heading, and that you give us hearts that want to love and obey you in all holiness of life. We ask this in Christ's precious name. Amen. Therefore, verse 13, therefore prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it is not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. I wish I'd uh, preached four sermons on this, having studied it this week. Um, There's so much richness in this passage. But I want us to examine in an overview sort of way that, um, that the Christian is called to a life of hope and he's called to a life of holiness. He's called to a life of hope, verse 13, and he's called to a life of holiness in verses 14 to 21. So the hope is, is, is this point, know where you're heading. It's about our destiny. And called to a life of holiness is about knowing who you are our identity and that's what we've got to get clear in our minds if we are going to live and be different people in our society now I want you to notice the word therefore in verse 13 and every Bible student knows when you see the word therefore you should ask yourself the question what's it there for and that's worth meditating on what is the link between what has come before and what is here. So the first 12 verses, Peter's been rejoicing, hasn't he, over this amazing salvation. Uh, we've, been re- we've been rejoicing in it over the last few weeks as we've considered how incredible is this great salvation that God has provided for us who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, of course, the therefore is saying, well, being as we've experienced this salvation, therefore, there's a way that 
a life that flows out of that salvation. There's a way of living in the light of that salvation. Another way of speaking about the salvation as we've considered is it's being born again. Uh, we thought about it being born again to a living hope and to an everlasting inheritance. And so therefore, we are called to a life of hope. Verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. I don't know whether you've ever written, uh, written whether you've ever read the book by Stephen Covey, Seven Habits of a Highly Effective Person. You might be too busy to have read it, but that, that's, that's the problem. And, uh, but in that book, he, he comes up with this concept that you should begin with the end in mind. And so he asks you to do this exercise. He says, I want you to imagine, what would you like people to say about you at your funeral? What would you like them to say if they're being honest? Right? I've never met a nasty guy at a funeral yet. But if people were being absolutely brutally honest, what would you hope that they could honestly say at your funeral? Well... Get that clear in your head, begin with the end in mind, and start living and acting in such a way that when you get to that point, that they will honestly be able to say it. That's his point. Live with the end in mind. Now, my guess is that most people aren't looking forward to their funeral. Um, at some stage, though, people start looking forward to uh, maybe the great, I mean, the great hope, the great day of salvation in our culture is, is the day that you retire, isn't it? Uh, this is the great salvation people are looking forward to. The day you, you retire and, and don't have to go to work. And so people live in the light of that day. Eventually you start waking up in your 30s and sometimes even your 40s that you've got to actually have a pension pot at the end. Otherwise you're going to have nout. And so people start preparing for that day. They start putting a bit of money aside and hoping that the uh, financial industry does a better job than they've done for the last 30 years and that there will be something at the end that the uh, pension people won't cream too much off it and that there'll be something at the end that you can retire on. Uh, we've all had that experience, haven't we, of, of waiting, preparing for a final day. There was a wedding here yesterday between Michael Gilmartin and Fiona Robertson. And uh, for uh, most brides-to-be, there's a huge amount of planning for that one day, isn't there? That one day sets the agenda for you know, up to a year, many months uh, finding the dress, uh, dieting so you can fit into the dress, uh, and, and, and choosing to forego um, fast food and too many fish suppers, and uh, all to look glorious on that day. Well, people live with the end in mind. And what Peter is telling us today is that we as Christians, if we're going to uh, live distinctive lives, we have to live with the end in mind. And the end in mind is, uh, is something bigger than getting married. It's something bigger than retiring on a pension. Um, it, it is the day when Jesus Christ returns at the end of history. The day when Jesus, who came the first time in meekness, will come in glory and in power to bring him his everlasting kingdom. The day when no one will be in doubt that Jesus Christ is Lord. That for the Christian disciple will be a great day of grace. 
It will be a day of rewards. It will be a day of full salvation. It will be a day of entering into the experience of this everlasting inheritance. It will be a day of God's richest generosity. And just as no athlete uh, regrets all the days of training, all the suffering and pain and hardship when they stand on the podium at the Olympics and get their gold medal, neither will the Christian regret any loss or hardship suffered for following Christ on that day when Jesus Christ is revealed in glory. And so Peter says, set your hope on that day. If you're a Christian now, we've got different priorities. We've got different values. Uh, The glory day is not retirement with a pension pot. The glory day is the return of the Lord Jesus Christ and living for his appearing. That will be the great day. Set your hope fully, Peter says, on that future day of grace. Now, the steady life of Christian obedience comes with your head up looking forward to that day. Now, there's crucial elements that will help us set our hope, and and, and actually, in essence, it's about the way that we think. Prepare your minds for action, it says. The underlying language is unusual. It's, it's, it's a gird up the loins of your mind. It's a Semitic phrase. Uh, back in the time of, uh, of their time, people went around with long robes and belts. And if you had to go somewhere fast, you have to hitch up your rope and tuck it in your belt and be ready to run and go for it. I guess the equivalent today is, okay, guys, we've got to roll up our sleeves. We've got to really get to work. And he's saying, prepare your minds in that way. Have your minds fully engaged in thinking about this reality of the coming return of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the phrase that actually is used in the uh, Greek version of the Old Testament of the time of Exodus that we read in Exodus chapter 12. Be dressed, ready for action. You have to eat this meal knowing that the next thing that's going to happen is you're on a long journey. So get ready. Hitch up and ready to go. Jesus uses exactly the same phrase in Luke's gospel when he teaches the disciples to be ready for his return. Um, And prior to telling them about a parable about some servants of a house who were ready for their master when he returns, compared to those who just got drunk and didn't care about his return, Jesus commands them in this way. He says, be dressed, ready for service. It's exactly the same phrase. Uh, Get your mind in gear. Be prepared. Live your life in the light of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Peter is saying to us. They needed in the first century, and we need today to remember where history is heading. And every day we get nearer to that day when Jesus is coming back. Um, How should we view ourselves? Well, in the book Everyday Church by Steve Timmis and Tim Chester, they had this uh, great little picture. And if you like pictures, this is a useful one to latch onto. How should we view this church? Well, this church is kind of like an embassy. We're an embassy of the future coming kingdom of God. And we who are members of this church, we're the ambassadors of this coming kingdom. And so, yes, we live here in 21st century Britain. We live here in Edinburgh. We live in Scotland. We live here to be a blessing, to integrate, to be involved. Uh, And we'll get involved in any ways that we can that fit with the ethics and the value of the coming kingdom. 
But of course, there are things that we will not do. That we, ways that we will not act. Ways that we will not participate because actually, this, uh, we're not fundamentally British citizens. We're citizens of the coming kingdom. And we live in the light of that. And I think that's a very helpful picture. And so, we know what the main event is. Yes, we want this uh, nation to prosper. I certainly hope that the economic downturn starts getting a bit perkier and it starts improving. We'll all benefit from that. But actually, that's not ultimately where my hope rests. My hope rests on the day when Christ returns in glory and the grace that is coming there. That's the focal point. And we will have our minds prepared and we're going to live in the light of that coming day. That's the first thing he says here. Live in the light of that coming day. And that's why I think it's crucial that we commit ourselves to our fellowship groups and to getting involved with Equip and uh, to reading our Bibles every day, to come and make attending on a Sunday a priority. Because let's be honest, you're not going to hear this agenda on the BBC. You're not going to hear this in, your, in the Guardian newspaper. Uh, you need to come and be amongst people who are going to tell you what the real agenda is from God's words. Only then will our minds be shaped and ready for action and will we live in a different way because our hope will be set on that future day. So we're called to a life of hope. And secondly, we're called to a life of holiness. There's so much in this section. Um, But the essence of it there is uh, in verse uh, 15, the final phrase, there's the command, be holy in all you do. Be holy in all you do. And in these verses, there are three motivating reasons given for holy living. And the first is there in verse 16. Because the God who called us is holy. Um, for it is written, Be holy because I am holy. So what is holiness? Um, the Bible's answer is, is quite simple. God is. God is holy. We sang at the beginning, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. God is holy. It is not just one of his attributes. It is about every single aspect of God. God is holy. He is, it is everything that makes God separate from us. We are created beings. He's the creator. Uh, His holiness is what separates him from us and what makes him an object of awe and adoration and and dread. And his holiness is also about his moral purity. He is totally separate from evil and sin. God cannot do evil and sin. He is utterly holy. And when we become born again, we enter into the family of our holy father. And... uh, He calls on us to live out this holiness. We have been separated from the world, as it were. We've been gathered up into his kingdom. Uh, We don't primarily belong to this world. We belong to the life to come. We are his holy people. And we are called to live lives that reflect the character of a holy holy God. Uh, Look at um, the opening... um, Verse 14, as obedient children. His appeal is on the basis that we are now part of the family of God. We're called to a new family likeness. 
When I was uh, living in America, uh, there was a, I used to have a Tuesday morning Bible study group uh, that came to my house about I don't know, 7 in the morning, something like that. And um, a bunch of guys used to come regularly, we used to read the Bibles together. And uh, Tom at that stage was about four. I never forget the, the day he kind of came downstairs early rubbing his eyes. And he saw a group of men sitting down with our Bibles open and talking. And he nipped away. And he came downstairs with his little New Testament. He couldn't read. He came with his little New Testament. He sat in my lap and he just had his Bible open. Oh. But that's what happens, isn't it? We copy our parents. We bear their likeness. And um, this is Peter's appeal. Your father is a holy God. So live out that holiness in your life. Don't be like you were before you were saved. Don't live as you did when you lived in ignorance. Do you see that in verse 14? This is the description of life before we become born again. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Now, I, I read the stats about British social attitudes with not sort of a tut-tut-tut attitude. It's like, well, what do you expect? If people are ignorant of God, you know, if people are basically told all the time that you're just, uh, you know, I don't know, some animal that is... You know, it's got to procreate and pass on DNA. That's all you are. Well, then people will just act like animals. People will act without restraint. People will engage in whatever they want to do, whenever they want to do it, and whatever the chaos is. So, in a sense, I'm not surprised. Of course, that's, that's how, in a sense, we all would be if we lived in ignorance of God, in ignorance of His holiness, in ignorance of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is to be expected. But we're called to be different now. In the past, before we knew Christ, uh, we basically were slaves to our passions, uh, to our evil desires. We, we didn't live for God. We did whatever made us feel good and brought the most pleasure. And in the time of our ignorance, we lived selfishly. We, we, did, we determined what was right and wrong. We followed our own heart. Uh, I, I just think it's sad that, the, the, that those values are now being enshrined in the new promise for Girl Guides movement. It's been a dramatic shift from the old statement where they're going to love God to now they're going to be true to themselves, which, of course, is exactly this move to selfish ignorance. But, of course, that I'm not surprised. That exactly fits 21st century Britain. That's where we're at today. That's what our society is apart from God's word, apart from a true knowledge of God. And so the first step of holiness, as we've seen, is to, is to shift uh, and remember where we're heading, where's the destiny, the hope that is to come. But then knowing that that is the hope to come, um, the kingdom that is coming in will be a place where there is no evil, uh, where there is no sin, where God and all his holiness will dwell amongst his people, then I, I need to live like that in the now. I need to live out that reality in my life. To know that I am actually, my identity I, is I am a loved son or daughter of the Holy Father, of a holy God. So the embassy idea is, is you, can, you know, the, the thing about us being an embassy is that actually um, if we live like every, 
somebody else and do exactly the same and behave in exactly the same way, well, that's a reflection on the kingdom that is coming. But actually, as holy children, uh, this is an embassy stocked with the family of God, and it reflects exactly on the character who the God is. If people want to know what God is like, they should be able to look at our lives and the character of our lives. And that's why the way we live matters uh, as an embassy in this city, an embassy of the coming kingdom. Now, verse 14 wakes us up to the fact that, um, you know, we don't just naturally fall into this holiness. Um, we might have had years and years before becoming Christians where we got angry without reason, where we were mean, where we blasphemed, where we spent hours viewing pornography, where we thought the only way to have a good time was to get drunk and take drugs or sleep around. But Peter says, now you are God's elect strangers. Now you're God's chosen people. Now you're part of his holy people. That needs to change. Uh, that way of living was how you lived in ignorance. But now we have knowledge of, the, of, of this God. And we have a new lifestyle of holiness to live out. And of course, that lifestyle of holiness will look kind of alien and weird to our culture because it is different. Verse 15 tells us that actually holiness impacts everything. So be holy in all you do. That's partly why I interviewed Tim and his job because actually it's how we live 24-7, um, three, you know, seven days a week, three days a week, seven days a week. That's where holiness matters. We live in this world as ambassadors of a future kingdom, knowing that our behavior and our attitudes, our words, our speech, what we do reflects on the coming Christ and the coming kingdom that is to come. And that understanding of our destiny, what is coming, our understanding of our identity will shape how we live and act. Verse 16 is a quote from the book of Leviticus. And if you've ever read through Leviticus, you'll see that this kind of holiness affected every aspect of Israel's life. Um, Lots of the particulars don't apply to us today because the book of Leviticus was pointing forward to Jesus. Uh, things have changed now that Jesus has come. We're not so worried about mildew laws and the like. But the principle of holiness is the same. That actually holiness in, impacts everything about our lives. And Peter's going to spell out some of those ways about our speech, about the, our sexual behavior, about how we relate to church, about how we relate to authorities, uh, in our marriages. It, this holiness is going to be worked out in all the practicalities of our life. And why should I live differently? Well, because fundamentally I know God is a holy God. Why should I want to be faithful to my wife? Well, because God is faithful to his promises. And I bear and reflect his character. Why should I uh, not steal or lie? Well, because my heavenly father is just. And he never uh, speaks lies. He always speaks the truth. And that should be reflected in my life. And if that sounds dull to you and boring, just remember that uh, the life of Jesus uh, was far from dull. It seems to me that Jesus got invited to the best parties. Uh, the the so-called tax collectors and sinners love to invite Jesus to their parties. So this holiness doesn't mean a separation from the world. We're not living as monks. 
We're fully integrated in this life. We are representing the king. But Jesus could go and spend time uh, with uh, all these different groups of people. And he was so holy in his being that they were actually attracted to him. He was so integrated. He spoke the truth yet was filled with compassion and love. Um, He was a person without flaws or blemishes in his character or being. And while actually, sadly, the religious leaders mostly hated him, the crowds are irresistibly drawn to his holiness. Much of what repels non-Christians about Christians is when we pretend to be holy, but when we're just being hypocrites. I saw a really ouch bumper sticker in the States that said this, Why do so many born-again Christians make you wish they'd, they'd not been born the first time? Ouch. Well, my guess is they've come across hypocritical Christians. What we need is genuine holiness to be like Jesus. Well, there's two more reasons. We're going to whip through them very quickly. But the second reason for holiness is verse 17, because the God we call upon judges impartially. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. Our Father is the judge of all the universe who always loves what is right and does what is right. My guess is, is that um, if you're um, the son of a judge and you commit a crime, you're not allowed to be tried by your father. I'm guessing he can't do it because we think, well, actually, uh, there will be a high degree of partiality, but not with God, you see. God is, we will not be swayed. God hates evil hates sin, and a loving God's response to evil is anger and judgment. And he's an impartial judge. So we shouldn't think, well, I'm, you know, uh, God's my dad, I can do whatever I please, as if he's some sort of uh, person just going to say, oh, well, <laughs> well done, son, don't worry about that. No, that, he's not that sort of dad. He is an impartial judge. And so we should live our lives, not presumptuously, but with a desire to please our father. I never doubted the love of my dad when I grew up. I never feared that he'd throw me out of the house. I did live with a healthy fear of his disapproval. And uh, I can recall a few times where he did discipline me in quite um, active ways uh, as I grew up that made me think twice about disobedience in the future. Um, the most extreme example of this in the book of Acts is what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. As they persisted in lying and hypocrisy, well, what happened was, Peter saw it, they they dropped dead. Because God cares about holiness of his church and his people. And and, and the text goes on to say in Acts, when news of the death of these two Christians took place, and great fear came upon the whole church. Well, it would, wouldn't it? And upon all who heard of these things. And so it's appropriate that Peter says to live our lives as strangers here in reverent fear. And the third motivating reason, perhaps the greatest, is to remember the precious cost of our redemption. Verse 18, For you know it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Do you hear all the language of the book of Exodus that we read earlier? 
Remember on the night of Passover when God's judgment came that every firstborn son was going to die and the only way that they could actually uh, be saved from that is the, uh, was to take a lamb, to kill it, to put blood on the door and where that blood was, uh, they were saved from that judgment. And the, the firstborn son in that house was safe on that night where they were redeemed out of slavery and began to become a free people on their way to the promised land. Well, there is a great picture of the Christian life. We have been redeemed out of slavery to our sin, to an old empty way of futility and ignorance. Now in full knowledge of who God is, he's covered all our sins. And the point is that the Christian, even though we know that it cost us nothing, that this salvation is freely offered. And if today you've not received the salvation, you simply need to come to the Father and ask His forgiveness for your sins and thank Him for what Christ did on His death upon the cross and say, please forgive me, please cleanse me. I receive this gift of salvation. You could do that today. It is free to us. It costs us nothing. But it was not free. It was very costly. We were not redeemed with the precious blood of Uh, with silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. And as we think about living out this salvation, I think, I don't know about you, but for me, this is perhaps the greatest motivation. What did it take to save me for a life of being enslaved to selfishness and sin and destructive? The precious blood of Christ. Why would I want to keep going back into those enslaving habits and sins and behaviors when it was at such great cost that I was redeemed and bought and set on a journey to a a future inheritance that would not fade. How foolish to go back. And so we will be greatly helped in our holiness if we stay near the cross of Christ to remember how awesome uh, is our Savior who willingly died in our place. And as we face temptation to surf the internet for porn or lie to accountants and shareholders about the true state of the company or consider a few lies at the benefit office to keep the payments coming or nurture hatred against someone or cheat to get better grades, as believers we need to remember that we're called to an alien holiness. A lifestyle uh, as citizens of the kingdom of God that is yet to fully come. We're called to a life of hope That's our destiny. We're called to a life of holiness. That's our identity. Blood-bought with the precious blood of Christ. Let me finish with just an encouragement. If you look at verse 16, and actually if you have the English Standard Version uh, translation in front of you, this can be translated in two ways, and the English Standard Version is translated slightly differently, and it could be translated as a promise you shall be holy because I am holy and this is God's great purpose he's saved us to have a holy people he will have a holy people this is God where God is taking us as Christian believers and as Satan tempts us to despair and tells us of the sin within we look up to our saviour who is our pardon, our righteousness, our holiness. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have saved us. Uh, We thank you for the hope that is ours. Father, we, we come before you and I suppose many of us are just reflecting on the many ways that even in the past week that our words or our lives have not reflected your holiness. So we come again asking your forgiveness and thanking you for the full pardon that we receive because of the precious blood of Christ. That perfect spotless sacrifice in our place. Father, as we hear the the calls to conform to the values of this society, help us to have such an identity as your holy people and such confidence in your eternal plan that we'd be able to be in this world to bless it and love people and yet to be distinct and holy. We thank you that you are accomplishing this purpose in our gathering. In Christ's precious name, amen.